we are all missing a uh, our hormone called oxytocin. We get that when we uh, we can touch a pet, that helps to hold a pet, or if you touch another human, uh, you know, just sit next to them shoulder to shoulder, <laughs> you know, anytime there's touch involved, uh, it doesn't seem to work with objects, it seems to work with other humans, and uh, cedar gives you a lot. <laughs> And are y'all leaving today? How much longer is it now? You almost got packed? Well, we're heading out tomorrow for three weeks. Then we'll be back for a week and finish packing. Okay. Go to Georgia August 22nd. So we probably will be here on August 16th. Okay. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me tired just seeing your pictures that y'all are packing. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's so hot to pack. Yeah, oh, it's been great. Yeah, y'all have a good trip. Um, so anyway, oxytocin is a hormone that you get from. Uh, it, it's a it's a hormone that's released in us, and what it appears to do is it makes us want to have relationship, to be close to other humans, and we found that also that people have pets, and that's why they've been taking pets into nursing homes. Uh, for people to touch because it triggers oxytocin in us. So if you feel unusually lonely, it's probably because you need to touch someone or a try a pet that seems to work. Or don't don't pet a random dog that you don't know. Okay, <laughs> you don't know where that dog's been. <laughs> and I used to have a Pekingese that when it got tired of being petted, it would just bite you. It never would say, I'm tired of this, or, or make a noise, or walk away. It just bit me, and then I knew that uh, sometimes it brought blood. <laughs> so, uh, let me pray for just a minute. Father, um, we come to you clothed in Jesus, and we don't take this viral attack at lying down. We ask you to bring relief to humanity. Bring relief, would you bring um, vaccines, whatever, however you want to destroy this, um, we're ready for that, Lord. We ask for grace until you come and do that. Um, In Jesus' name, we ask for grace. Um, Speak to us today. I have a probably disjointed things, but uh, we'll see. I'm going to go to Ephesians chapter 4 for a minute, New American Standard. I'm speaking to myself, and I'm also speaking to um, really all Christians, because even though we're, we're all Christians, we, in, on, on one level... We also work for the kingdom of heaven. Uh, we are his children, and we're in the family business. So, you know, if the family business was a thousand-acre ranch, uh, everybody would be expected to do something. That might be out going and fixing the fence or going out and finding 
the cows that got out, or it might be going to get, you know, whatever it is on your ranch that you need to do, you would be expected to do stuff and not um, be on social media all day, and that wouldn't be your job unless it was like selling stuff from your, your ranch. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 16, Paul is writing to the uh, church at Ephesus, Therefore I am the prisoner of the Lord. Therefore I, the prisoner, my eyes are still watering from our worship just then. Therefore, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, employ you to walk in a matter worthy of the calling with which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to pursue to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And Paul quotes from Psalms 68:18. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives, a host of captives, and gave gifts to men, which was the traditions uh, had been going on for a long time that when uh, the king went to war with another kingdom and they won, they came back bringing prisoners uh, to would work in their kingdom and then uh, the spoils, anything they had the, from the other place and uh, they would march in with this and the Romans had a particularly interesting thing was that they would take one of the captives and put the captive up in the chariot behind the guy who had won the battle and the captive's job was to whisper in his ear as he's being received with honor from winning that this only lasts for a moment. Over and over, he would talk to him to keep him aware that they had won, but this doesn't last forever. This is a moment of glory of winning something. Now the expression, verse 9, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above the heavens so that he might feel all things. So, you know, Christ died for us. He went and preached to those um, uh, bound in... Uh, You know, you say hell, but there's like, it's a little more to explain. But those that are bound, he went and preached. And then he, uh, you know, rose from his work during these three days. And then he, uh, you know, he appeared to Mary and, uh, and, and uh, talked to her for a minute outside the tomb. When he brought the, his body back to life and then... He said, don't hold on to me, don't cling to me, I must go to my God and your God. And so he, you know, he went before the Father and 
performed all that needed to be done as being the Messiah, as being the Lamb of God. This whole thing is a, is, is a, a big story that's being worked out, and it was in time space, and it's still, we'll probably be able to see some of this someday, maybe, that God would let us see these moments, those of us that didn't live at that time. And it says, um, verse 11, and he gave some as apostles. Now, this is sort of the gifts he's giving to men. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, if we will... um, grow from those that he's raising up among us in each generation. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickiness of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Kyle, I possibly can hear the fan blade back there rubbing on something. That high-pitched sound, that only because I have put it together wrongly many times, and it gives off sort of that sound. Bless you as he goes back, because we won't. Kyle to come back with all of his fingers. It's a big, it's a big, big fan. Propped in the door, sucking air out. Yeah, he's good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's see. I had a couple of other another passage. Let me just read these verses and then I'll and then I will uh Well, I read, like last time I spoke, I read Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. Where In 42, that, uh, that's the, I kind of want to go there, and we've been there. It's like I'm always torn. How about 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 through 27. Church, Paul is again, written a lot of these New Testament books. The church at Corinth. Verse 19 through 27, 1 Corinthians. He says, Though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the, under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law. You know, the ones that were Jewish to this legalistic point of view, dotting and crossing everything, so that I might win those who are under the law. Verse 21, to those who are without law, as without law, those not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, kind of the New Testament 
believers now, so that I might win those who are without law. They've learned grace, so he can act in grace with the ones with grace, and those that don't have grace yet, he can interact with them. Verse 22, to the weak I became weak, so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who complete, competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, as in the Roman games, but we imperishable. In other words, it's not just a reward for the moment that's going to die. It's kind of made out of living uh, blooms and blossoms and stuff you know it's not going to be like that imperishable verse 26 therefore i run in such a way as not without aim i i then he gives another analogy of like boxing i box in such a way as not beating the air but i discipline my body i make it my slave so that after i have preached to others i myself will not be disqualified he's saying to do what you're called by god to do you can't be like other people. It's just the way it is. You just can't be like other people. You wish you could. You can't. Isaiah 42, verse 1 through 4, which I read before. This is the, uh, if you're reading Isaiah, it's fascinating that the 66, you know, Long time ago, a monk divided the, these books up into chapters. They didn't exist. It was one long one long letter, and he divided it into 66 chapters, and it just so happens, or he meant to, is that in chapter 40, it matches the books of the Bible, the Old Testament. So beginning with chapter 40, the last uh, 27 uh, in there are all about Messiah, which is like the New Testament. So it divides right with the story, is kind of Old Testament storytelling, and then it gets into speaking forward about time of the Messiah coming, and so it picks up right there. Now, we, I had read from 40 last week, not thinking about that. I had taught from 40. And so this is f- further into it, and I read this part last time. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. He's talking about Messiah. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed. He will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands will wait with expectantly for his law or instructions. I would love to be that way all the time. I visit it for a while, uh, but it's a, it's a place to aim for, is to be like Jesus is from the time of him showing up, and even now here, um, even though he's seated at the right hand of the Father and his enemies have made his footstool, that it he he is still acting gently right now. The day will come when he is the warrior king at the end. You know we've talked about that, but that's not right now. So. 
He calls us to serve. Um, <clears throat> we're all called to do different things. It's his kingdom. So I, I want to go over my history. This may or may not be interesting to you, but uh, it helps put me in touch with things. Keith Green uh, did a festival, uh, did festivals for a number of years, and he did one called, uh, it's titled, uh, I got a cassette someone gave me, Jesus Northwest Festival 1978. And in this, there, if you go look this up um, in, in some source, I found a source that told about it, uh, Keith was there, and this had been, uh, you know, they had Woodstock, and there's big, lots of people that had met at Woodstock, and this is not big, but this was the, like the Christian peak festival at the time. There were 35,000 people that showed up for this festival. A number of Christian uh, people that sang, wrote songs, were there, ones that we would all know from that time period. And Keith was a rising a Christian singer. He had already put out for those who have ears to hear, and uh, uh, he was uh, um, under contract with Sparrow Records, I think, and uh, was getting ready to do another one, and so they made Keith the final performer. So everybody's happy. They're just, they're selling all kind of merchandise. They're selling albums. They're selling Jesus Northwest t-shirts. You name it. It's just pretty much like being in the temple and selling doves and stuff, you know, making some money as people are coming to worship in Jerusalem. And uh, Keith gets up, <laughs> and Keith starts by quoting scripture. I hate and reject your festivals. He kind of put a damper on everything. He sang some, but he preached a lot more. And the place came under conviction. So my history was is that I'd been in graduate school on the side. And back in that time, there was basically 10 courses you had to take to get your master's. And you could go to weekend college. So I'd started weekend college. And I was almost halfway through that. But I stopped. Uh, you could take them when you want to take the courses, and you had so many years to get through with your master's before it, you started losing coursework on the front end of it. And I had a little time left, and I, we built, Laura was born, we built a log house in Southside. I worked mainly after Christmas Day from 1978. She was born on April the 11th, 1978. From Christmas Day of 78, day after, to early May, uh, late May, I worked every day. Seven, I, there was no off day. I worked every day. I'd go to school and teach. I would come home and do a whole shift. When my father would help me, I would then spend one hour and go home, build cabinets for the kitchen for one hour. When the alarm went off, I would put that down. I would go read a book or something. I lay down beside my daughter, usually fell asleep as she was falling asleep, and, and shake me to go to bed and get up and go to school and then do this again. I was really getting worn out. Uh, we moved in. We, we had everything but water. We didn't have any water, and so we went to Dothan uh, to uh, down um, 
Janice had uh, had a lake house down at Compass Lake, Florida. We went down there and had called my parents and said, when we get water, will you call us and we'll come home? So in, a, in three weeks, we got water. We turned around, we came back. And if you leave a log cabin sitting still with no air on it, and it's all, you know, fresh logs and stuff, you find that you have... Uh, mold growing on the surface of every single object four feet down to the floor. Everything had turned green with mold. I had to take every single thing, all the walls, the floor, everything four feet down and disinfect it and kill, or kill all this to move in there. Uh, we get moved in, we don't have any money we spend it all on, on building a house, buying a house. Oh, but graduate school is still gonna is sitting out there. We stay. We 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 spend the winter in one in the bedroom because that's all we could afford. We would go make uh, supper in the cold and then take it upstairs to this one room. We had Laura's ba you know baby bed and then playpen and all this, and we're living in this room. So now we have to go to uh, graduate school. So the summer of '80, in May of '80, Pamela Simpson has been going to ORU, or Roberts University, and Keith Green has come for three days. And she's taken with him, and she said the whole campus is taken with him. Um, and it was going really well until some students started, you know, in repentance, you, you start repenting of things that are acceptable, and then after a while, if you're really into repentance, you start repenting of things that other people might think you shouldn't say in public. So they started repenting of things, the students did, about things that the staff started getting very uncomfortable about. And they asked Keith to, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's over, it's through. <laughs> and so she brought me a cassette tape of, of Jesus North from, from 78, the Jesus Northwest Festival tape. I played it one time. I thought, that's nice. You know, I think I got the album from Christian Brothers down here from the bookstore. Uh, I was this worn out guy that had built this house and all this stuff. And I, and I, uh, that was nice. Thank you very much. I put it aside with some books and things, packed up, a, packed up a U-Haul to go to University of Alabama. We went and dropped our, our little daughter off with a grandmother, um, the one in Gadsden first, I think, I might have been the other way around, for the two terms of summer. We dropped her off. We went and got us an a apartment um, at, the, at Rose Towers, and we started painting. Night and day we started painting. We had to have a graduate show in mid-August with at least three professors that came and sat there and asked us a bunch of questions for us to get our master's. So we did that, break came for one week of the summer. We went and got our daughter, we drove to Dothan, or we, one way or the other, we, I don't remember which. And uh, we, we took her and left her for the second half of the summer. We went back, we got to, uh, were able to reserve the uh, public library and put our show in there. So these, uh, this husband and wife are painting and so I, my paintings are on one side, Jan's are on the other side, and we have to sit down with the professors and talk about our work. And they were gracious and said, okay, good, we'll sign. You know, you'll have a master's in art education. 
We packed the car up, and amazingly, all of our paintings as I stacked the station wagon, because I'd rented a van before, I didn't think about this, I just didn't think about going and trying to get a van, you got all these students leaving, there are no vans in Tuscaloosa when you're getting out for the summer. So I start stacking paintings and stuff in the back, and they just follow the shape of the back end of the station wagon. When you close the door, they were just really, like each one was, were the different sizes, but they all fit, and you had no way to look out, but it didn't matter, you got all your paintings in. Yay! Luggage in behind you, yay! You know? We get to go home, dump all this stuff, and then go get our daughter. Her voice had changed. This little kid, she sounded different. It looked like her, a little taller, a little longer, but it looked like her. Um, Wow. So now I've got a master's. Now it's school starting at Glencoe High School. I've been teaching there for seven years. Wayne Finley's there. And Wayne Finley is kind of in the same place I am. We are at the place where I, mine all summer was, if, Lord, if you will just get me through this summer school, if you'll just let me get my master's and complete this art show, I will get serious with you. He started bringing that back. Wayne had prayed something parallel to that. Now, it took us about three weeks of drinking Mr. Pibb in the teacher's lounge because they didn't sell Dr. Pepper. That was as close as you could get in a Coke product. You know, I'm not going to drink Coke. It's too sweet for me. Okay, so we keep talking after school, and one of us said, well, let's just meet at your house. So he had a black pickup truck then. I had a beat-up station wagon that I'd done art with. And built a house with it. Every time I'd go and get lumber at the lumber store, they'd go, you ought to buy you a truck. You know, you just destroyed this station wagon. i go, yeah, it's already destroyed now, you know. When you, when you have 10 1x12s that are uh, shoving lumber that are like 12 feet long or 14 feet long, you don't want to stop in a hurry. You'll find that they all slide rapidly. And where you had a nice plastic-shaped dashboard, there's now a giant indentation where all that lumber crashed into the front of it you know so I had a whole station wagon that was turning into a truck almost all I needed was take the top off and but anyway um, we meet in the driveway uh, well not the driveway out on the church road that was in front of my house uh, which stayed a church road for a number of years he parked his truck we leaned on the back of or over the side of the truck and we prayed as best we knew how out loud. And we prayed basically, God, we're tired of being part-time Christians. We would like to be full-time Christians. In Jesus' name. We talked a few more minutes. He went home. I went inside. And starting in the next few days, this that moment of being out there just uh, made me have some sort of hunger. I didn't know what, I wasn't trying to do something, it's just this hunger. I, I went in and I had a stack of Christian books that had ink, uh, I tend to take mechanical pencils and put them in a book and leave it in there so that I can underline things. There were a stack of books, four or five books that had been there sitting two years, roughly. I moved them, but you know, it was the same stack. And a couple other things, and there was the Keith Green cassette tape 
from the Northwest Festival 1978, and I put it in a, in a portable cassette player, playing it the second time that I've not heard in a year. And you know how something just happens? You just... I heard it that time. I thought I'd heard it before, but I hadn't heard it. I played it again and again and again and again. I played it for days. I played it in the station wagon going to work. And then Lane Smith showed up. Lane had gone to Glencoe High School, and he was a youth minister nearby. And he comes after school, and Wayne and I are hanging out in his, office, his room or the teacher's lounge, and, or maybe we guess we go there when Lane comes after school. And Lane says, have you ever heard of this guy? Have you ever heard of a guy named A.W. Tozer? I've been reading this book. It's called The Pursuit of God. It's changed me. Now, you know people that are your ex-students, and that's a lot, but, you know, we trusted him. He was a, hadn't been a normal guy, and he was his youth minister now. Yeah? Okay. One of y'all want to read this one? Okay. One of us took it. I probably had Wayne take it, because I usually want, want my own. So I went by the Christian bookstore, which was across the street, and went and bought one. Now, this is not the way mine looked. This is out of our bookstore. Tozer had a piece of carpet, a little, a little uh, roll-up rug that he kept in his office. It cost him 68 cents when he bought it. He would take this every day and roll it out. It wasn't very big, probably three by five, maybe even small, maybe two by three. I don't know to get his body on it. And he would get on this, he would roll this rug out he would get down on his knees and put his face on the floor. And he started having, not like a charismatic, I don't, I don't know what you would call it. He started having encounters with God and he would write about it. And as I read about him, Pursuing God, I started pursuing God. I bought every book that was available that he had written. The next one I read was The Knowledge of the Holy. Lane started coming over after school, and the three of us would start talking about God. To the point that Jan would get angry going, I've been sitting at Southside High School waiting you for an hour and a half. Where were you? Uh, I was just at Glencoe talking to Wayne and Lane about God. Yeah, I wish you'd like, could you just cut that down to 30 minutes? I, I, I'm usually ready to go in about 30 minutes after school. Okay, I'd, that'd last a few days and then uh, it would be another one of those hour and a half days. I didn't have anything to make an alarm. I really needed to just buy an alarm clock and set it or something or another.
Now that finishing graduate school is 40 years ago this August. 40 years ago, I finished graduate school. I'm 68, in a few days I'm going to be 69. We continue to read things. I came home every day after school. I read from after school until 5 p.m. every day. I went through 30 or 40 Christian books. I became a fanatic of not knowing what this was was driving me, and it was that prayer. Um, started buying Christian albums. Started buying them uh, from uh, Christian brothers, and by now, Richard Moon was running it, and there was out front in the other building next door a little bookstore of music. I buy albums, take them to school. We'd put them out with little, like, library card things and uh, where they could borrow them. Uh, Wayne Finley had a number of albums in his room. Debbie Handy had a bunch in her room. We were all at the same school. We, we saturated the school with Christian music. We... <laughs> And as things go, you know, uh, it's one thing to uh, live in a community and teach Sunday school there and something, and things probably usually stay pretty normal. But if you're from another part of town, I was from Southside, Wayne was from uh, Rainbow City, uh, Lane had been the, was, the, was the current youth minister, and uh, the community started getting uh, upset because their kids kept quoting these high school teachers and this music and the books that they were loaning out. And we had started meeting in uh, one night a week, like because I was raised in Campus Crusade, we started meeting one night a week and one of the kids would get their parents to offer the home and we went from, oh, a dozen kids the first night to 40 50 kids in people's houses. And the local churches got concerned because <laughs> these radical teachers were influencing their children. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so after Lane lost his position as the youth minister at his church, and the principal talked to us about that the community was stirred up and that he suggested that maybe we should stop these meetings. <laughs> I mean, we followed his wisdom and stopped these meetings. Um, and life quieted down for a while. And then Sunday morning, January the 16th, 1983, when I was at Meadowbrook Church, I had this impression to go to the prayer room out of nowhere. I went and God said, I want you to start church. And I said, I can't pastor or preach, meaning I'm an art teacher. And he said back, that's not what I said. And then I would now call it the, the word means the heaviness of God. You know, the glory of God is the heaviness. It was like the gravity got thicker in the prayer room. And I felt pressed into the carpet. 
There was nothing else said, and then it was like gravity lifted, and it was over. I didn't know what to do with that. I always wondered what it was like when God communicated, and I, I know he communicates with other people in different ways, but that was the way he communicated with me. So I started going around and visiting pastors. I visited Pentecostal pastors. I visited Baptist pastors. I visited whoever I knew. And Wayne, in our research, uh, Meadowbrook had a, had a library that also took magazines. And there was a magazine in there from um, October, the October... Um, 1983 edition. It was a charismatic magazine put out by um, whoever puts those out. They had two magazines back then. I can't remember the name of this one. And it was on a course, a guy named John Wimber, and it was on a course called MC Mission Conference Course Number 510, MC 510 at the Fuller Seminary. So Wayne threw it across his desk, slid it around his desk on top of it. He says, hey, this looks like it's right up your alley of research, what you're researching. I took it home. Hey, wow, this really sounds sane. This is the first guy I've run into that says he, they've had encounters, they've had healings. Uh, so when God told me to start a church, and I've checked everybody around town that I can check that I know, I wrote John Wimber a note. And somewhere in all my stacks of stuff is the return note from him. He says, I'm going to be at the Belmont Church in April. Why don't you come by and we'll meet? So in April of that, after January 1983, I go to Nashville to the Belmont Church. And he's preaching on, uh, teaching on healing, and then he starts praying for people. They do a clinic, and then afterwards, we go out to an ice cream place, and uh, we talk. Well, I mainly talked. He was tired, he and Carol. It was about, there were like five of them in the team. Uh, Blaine and Becky Cook was with them, and then Steve Collins, who ran his tape ministry and stuff that had just kind of gotten started. They were all there. And I blurted out across the table, said, well, I'm, I'm going to adopt you. Uh, I don't know if you want me, but I, I want you. <laughs> he turned to Steve and he says, give this young man 100 cassettes. So he says, give me your address and I'll send you a little catalog of our stuff. I do. He does. He sends me a catalog. I order 100 cassettes. They come. I listen to them all summer. I started a small group at Meadowbrook. This is getting a lot longer than I intended. This is not in here. Um, I started a small group at Meadowbrook. Uh, I closed that down after a while because people thought I was up to something. You, you know how people do. It's just, <laughs> Jim's going to probably just take a bunch of people and try to start. No, no, I just was trying to you know, do a group <laughs> of people. Um, so I, I, I looked up. Blaine's telephone number, uh, back then, you know, you could call an operator. I said, hey, do you have a Blaine Cook anywhere around your Belinda, California? Yeah, I do. She gives me the number. I call Blaine. He's at home. 
I said, Blaine, I still think I'm supposed to start a church. You know, I came in and met. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, Get, hey, you need to come to California. In June, we're going to have that MC510 course. We're going to offer our first conference at our church. We're ringing the back of, of Pacific Coast Stereo. The back of the building is now our church. It's bigger, and we can hold couple of thousand people, why don't you come? It's in June, third week of June. Third week of June, 1984. We drive to California, and it got a little strange. Power encounters for the first time. Seeing people healed, you know, right near you. Being part of a group of people praying for somebody and feeling the power of God in a way. I just had that one little encounter uh, that morning. I, I hadn't had anything like this. Being left-handed, I'm kinesthetic. Kind of my left hand would start shaking every time I would like be part of a prayer thing. We come back. We, we start in the living room meeting because Bobby Sparks told me to quit talking about it. Let's just meet. We start meeting in my living room by... Um, by fall, Nori Kelly has come, and uh, Nori starts leading worship for us. Uh, Davey and Lanny Handy are re released from them. They were helping a Methodist church. They've been released. She becomes our treasurer. Uh, we get a checkbook in uh, January of 85, and time goes on. Summer of 93, we're, we're, we've moved the Christian Brothers out of the living room. We've, we've moved to Rainbow City prematurely. We've gone back to the living room to stay until we become uh, large enough in the living room that we can't. I said, if we ever get enough people, we can't all get in here. We start sitting in the dining room and stuff. We'll move. So uh, we did. Nori and I are coming to Christian Brothers. They're having every Saturday night. They have a live Christian thing next door. Nori and I are standing in the in, in had met, kind of just called each other and said, hey, I'm thinking about going to Christian Brothers. Me too, this Saturday. So we, we go to Christian Brothers, and we're standing out in the hall, and somebody's up playing on the stage. And when we walk in, we went, wow, I missed this building. Yeah, me too. I wonder if they'd rent it to us again. And as we're saying this, Jennifer Finlayson's walking by. Jennifer's the president of Christian Brothers that year. And she hears us because we're having talk a little bit louder over the band. And she says, yeah, I'm president. Sure, we'll rent it to you. By the next Sunday, we were back at Christian Brothers forever then. We, we were back at Christian Brothers next door in the evenings, in the afternoons at first at 3, and then we moved it down. That's a little too, too close to lunch, and we move it, you know, at like we go to 6, and then eventually we slide back up to like 4, and then four, 4 was really good for us. Late enough that we can go a while and we can worship and be who we are. Um, Summer of 93, uh, Jan is having some trouble, and her, her doctor figures out that she's got um, MD, myotonic dystrophy, that her family has it, different members. And she would live um, 10 years with this, and it would get more and more. Eventually, we had to get oxygen, and um, we'd have that on all the time and different things. And I, I had tanks and 
these things. And, but we, she still felt good enough that we ended up going to Toronto in 1994 and, uh, because the Spirit had fallen at the Toronto airport church. We got to go in the old building at the end of the runway before they had a conference starting the next day. So we got to spend one evening in there, and they were like in your favorite restaurant or place that had a band. You know, it's like elbow to elbow. You know, it was, it was hot. It was a lot of people in there. It was really nice, but it was even nicer in the big building that eventually they would buy that they rented for Wimber to come. Wimber was coming. And uh, that was really good. And then we, uh, talking, coming back home, uh, we started, they said, hey, we're going to put together kind of a road show. We're going to call it Catch the Fire. And we're going to, the, we're going to be at the Anaheim Vineyard uh, this summer. So I started calling people. I don't know if I called you, Brooke, but uh, I know we all ended up being about 19 of us as adults plus kids. And uh, we, had a, we filled up the end of the airplane we went to Anaheim, and I had my very first experience of not being able to stand up. I always wondered what that would be like. You know, I always like, well, I'll probably fall in slow motion, speaking in touch. No, it was more like I crumpled up on the floor gradually, like I was having low blood sugar, and then I couldn't get up off the floor. That was the experience. Yeah, there, there was a weird thing that happened as they helped me get out to the car, a couple of the young college people that were with us saw me being helped out of the lobby and, and they were way out in the parking lot and they, f they just disappeared. I said, drag me that way because uh, I saw them out there. We went out and they were like wallowing in the, uh, in, in, in the dirt parking lot past the gravel and they couldn't get up. They were trying to, they would hold on to the, to the um, yeah, on the, <laughs> where you put your windshield wiper blades, you know, and they would hold on to that, and they were starting to yell at me that, like, take him away, put him in the car, don't bring him near us, we're trying to get up off the ground, there's cars driving around us, you know, in dust clouds. It, it, was, a, it was a wild evening, let's say. Um, so there was more of that, you know, it's like this first time, and all these years later, it's like 10 years later, and this is going on, and... Um, then, because they were still a vineyard church, uh, I went back in October to Toronto and was on the ministry team. By then, there were 5,000 people showing up in Toronto. I got to be on the ministry team that year and got to go back the next year. My, uh, the board here at the vineyard surprised me with a trip, set it all up, and I went a second year in 96 and was on the ministry team and saw unbelievable kind of things going on. Now, in the midst of all this, Jan's condition is getting worse, and I am becoming passive-aggressive, um, not knowing how to uh, just, uh, you know, our lives have become kind of in orbit around this sickness. Um, and she feels guilty because she's the one that's sick. I said, well, don't feel guilty. It could be me. The point is our, our life is... Everything has to do with this sickness. Our, I would carry a book bag with me full of everything but pajamas in case we went to a hospital to go visit because it had happened one night where, where we went to visit the doctor's office that was in the hospital and she ended up staying for a week. And I don't like to not have stuff. 
with me. I want my stuff, you know, like, you know, cheese crackers, water, Bible, four books, headphones, cassette player, 12 cassette. Yeah, I want my stuff. <laughs> and I'd walk around listening to all this in, in, in the visitor's room at one hospital one time, and nurse come, somebody would come by and go, are you okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm self-contained. I've got everything I need right here. You know, and you got a big sofa. I just sleep on the sofa. <laughs> this was my, my, my operating mode. Uh, so finding out that I was having this anger and talking to a couple of friends, one of them suggested, you should try, you should try uh, this guy named Don Richards. I said, well, who's Don Richards? Well, he's a counselor in Birmingham. He's an Episcopal priest, and he's, and he's charismatic. Hey, I'll go see him. I go see him. I write everything on a couple of sheets of paper. As soon as I get through reading it, he asked me two sentences. I don't remember what they were, but we were on the same page. I went, wow, somebody that understands where I am. Now, you know, a counselor is like holding up a mirror, like to the, where you need to see the back of your head and you cannot see it from the front. You think, you think that you don't have a giant ball spot on the back of your head or maybe you've got an extra head growing back there and you don't know it. You, know, you, you, you think you know what's back there, but you don't really know it. You need a counselor to go, hey, let me help you with this. Let me show you this part. There was a number of years of showing me back there. Childhood things that I had not dealt with. I, I won't go into all of my stuff. Um, there was a lot of sessions of going to Birmingham. Um, I love that man. And, and he helped me grow up. I was stuck. I grew up to a certain level and then I just stopped there. I was getting older all the time, but emotionally I wasn't any older than right there. I was just right there at that spot. So it uh, doesn't hurt to have somebody to go talk to, go through things. And you'll know it's working because you start changing, because people around you will start saying, you're different. What are you doing? You fasting? I'm going to professional counselor. <laughs> He's a priest, I'd always say real quickly. <laughs> yeah, make it normal. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, yeah, you know. Uh, so I, re I retired in 98, uh, 1998 as, a, as an art teacher and going to counseling. Michael Bynum, uh, I always resented him for this. You know, I was, I was waiting until I retired he figured out, he and Vicky, Vicky's good at bookkeeping, she, he figured out that if he did X, Y, and Z, he could quit work and come and be a full-time, now he was already become the associate pastor, but that he could go full-time. So I have only been out since the end of May of my 25th year. That summer's like every other summer, except that I get to come to church all the time and then I can keep doing it come fall. And early fall, he says, Hey, Vicky and I figured out how I can go full-time and be a pastor. All you got to do is say yes. Are you sure? I don't have any extra money. No, I don't need extra money. I'm just, you just, just say yes. Okay. Well, uh, there's a room down the hall down there. We'll paint for you. Vicky wanted to paint it baby blue. If you hear this, Vicky, it's nothing personal, you know. I know you like blue. We painted the room blue. We put him a desk in there. 
he wandered around for the first week or so, just lost, like, just lost. Well, don't follow me around. I don't know what I'm doing. I've only been here, you know, you know. I can remember one day in particular, we were walking down the hall from his office coming down this way, and we're talking, and he stops me. I mean, he literally reaches out and takes me by the arm and stops me, and he says, you're making this up as you go. I said, well, yeah, I thought you knew that. <laughs> you know, I'm trained as an art teacher. I have multiple skill sets in multiple disciplines. I can do stained glass really well for 15 minutes. I can do batik painting 15 minutes. I can do weaving for 15 minutes. I'm maybe a little longer in pottery. I can do all kinds of art for 15 minutes. I can do drawing and painting longer because those are my concentrations. I do church the same way. I can do a little bit of all of it for 15 minutes. I've had people write me long letters, tell me, you're not any good at this. I know that. You don't have to tell me that. I know I'm not any good at this. But, but what I am, and I figured out after a while, is that little list in Ephesians. He gave some as apostles. A church planter, apostle means a sent one. I am basically an apostle. Little bitty, little bitty A, even smaller than the other letters. Because the apostle has to do all of the other jobs. Sometimes you're an evangelist. Sometimes you get something from God and it's prophetic. Sometimes it's a it's teaching gift. Sometimes it's pastoring people. But you make a trail where there isn't a trail. It's a place where nobody has been. Sometimes you back into it. Sometimes you trip and fall into it, but you just keep going. I didn't know, it was not pride that I just kept going. I just didn't know anything else to do. God had talked to me at the church in the prayer room. I was afraid not to try to make a church. That's what he told me to do. I told him I couldn't. He said, that's not what I said. You know, it's just, you know. You can go read about Moses. I go, I get it, sort of. You know, who are you? Take, take your sandals off. You're standing on holy ground. Well, 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 who do I say sent me? You say, I am that I am sent you. Well, I, I stutter. Uh, your brother talks really well. Pick him up along the way. <laughs> you know, well, well, how are they going to believe me? Uh, what's that in your hand? Staff, throw it on the ground. Turns into a snake. Pick it up. Picks it up, it turns back into a staff. Take your hand. Stick your hand inside your jacket, your coat, your fist. Pull your hand out. Got leprosy. Put your hand back in there. Take it back out. Leprosy's gone. I have seen my people. I have heard their cries. I'm sending you to be a deliverer. Go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. They must worship me in the desert. And you know the rest of the story. Anything that's happened among us that I was part of was not really me. I'm a puppet. I'm a little bitty hand puppet with the hand of God inside of it. As I look down through all the years. And now it's funny because they say, we, Jim, we so respect your legacy. You're, you're staying with it. 
And I just laugh at them because I want to go, you don't get it. I, I can't quit. I just, I, I'm still trying to, I'm still trying to figure out what he said on January the 16th, 1983. Just our church. I'm not pastor or preach. That's not what I said. I'm still doing that. I'm still doing that. And I, and I have a lot more stories to tell now after all these years, you know. If you're called to do this, like John Wimber said, go try to do anything else you can do and not be a leader unless that's all that you can do because it's him. Because you cannot do this but a few days or months or a year. What's the average now? People, what, like a year and a half or something? Is it that much? 18 months, somewhere in there. Uh, you can't do this if he's not his idea. You don't, you don't have the, you can't just push a car without gasoline in it. It's, not, it's just not gonna, it's not gonna go. Um, Jan goes to be with the Lord, 2003, that summer. 2003 had been 20 years since God showed me to start a church. I was doing a 4 o'clock service. Michael was pastoring a um, 10.30 service. He used this building. I used that building. It was good that we had, like, two compartments. Because I don't remember much around, not 2003, I remember being at the hospital that day and a bunch of friends coming. I remember all of a sudden being the husband of my wife that was about to go to be with him. And then all of a sudden this pastoral stuff started on me and I was the pastor. I was the vineyard pastor in the same body as the guy that his wife's about to leave. And, and kind of orchestrated what happened. I remember we had a service here. We went to Dothan and had a service there. I remembered how eerie it was driving across. There's this, there's this road outside of Dothan, about 10 miles outside of town, that we would always say, well, we're almost to Dothan, because when you go up over this ridge, over the hill, there's a road that went under it. But that was just, you know, it's like we've left Dothan this time to come back home when we go over that ridge. And that particular day, going over that overpass just, just was different. I hadn't been single since I was 21. I was 51, so it's like 30 years later of stuff. And, and I'm grieving. And I'm doing crazy things. I kept walking by a bathtub that I had that I'd cut out an opening that she could walk into. And about the fifth time I walked by it and I would be painful, I just went and got my Sawzall, plugged it up, and cut it in little pieces. There, there, I don't have to look at that again. I did some stupid stuff and things I wish I hadn't done. And you just, you know, grief's different with everybody. 
I did a lot of picking up cans back in those times. I came to the, the 10, 1030 meeting a while later after Patsy and I are married and, we, and we've uh, kind of settled into a routine. I come visit one morning. Michael says, do you have anything to say? I said, oh, maybe I got a sentence. I explode in here spiritually with all this stuff for about 10 minutes. And I come back and visit again two or three months later. You got anything this time? Yeah, I got another sentence, maybe. I explode a second time. Now, Michael's the kind that he's pretty smart. He said, that's happened twice. You got the 1030. I don't want the 1030. Well, then I'll just close it. Michael, sorry. God's come both times you're here. It's yours, bud. So I <laughs> close the four o'clock. And I come here. And now I've kind of gotten used to it coming in the morning. I really like that afternoon stuff, you know. And I, I, you can't go reproduce something. We, we would worship a normal set, Bruce, like you did. I would teach something in the, in the afternoon. You know, and, then, and when the renewal came, we would, the band would come back up and we'd go for an hour and a half afterwards. So it's always like 9 o'clock at night. On a, and you're teaching school, you know, and I can remember one guy's son would come over to him, Dad, Dad, I'm hungry. And the dad would be just, you know, you can be inebriated in the spirit. And the dad would lean up going, okay, just a, just a few more minutes and then we'll go eat, okay? <laughs> you know, we were literally laying under these little tables in the other room. We were laying under the tables because we couldn't stay in the chairs. We tried to stay in the chairs, but people would just slide out of the chairs. And there would be bodies that you'd walk around. This went on for about two years. People would come in from out of town. Hey, we heard that uh, God was with y'all. Yeah, could you pray for us? Yeah, sure. We, yeah. Boom. They're like under the, you know. And then that just gradually kind of ended, you know. Um, Patsy and I got married, and so now we will be together 15 years. It's now 37 years later than when he told me to start a church. 37 years later. This is all really short, being down here. If there was time, I would play you Keith Green. I'll try to put it up online. I was looking to see if Jesus Northwest 78 was um, online, and there was some music from about that time, and this guy had put up Keith, and a little, he had a little part written down underneath it. He says, this is from a few days after Keith wrote, Oh Lord, You're Beautiful. It's the original, Oh Lord, You're Beautiful, and it goes about five minutes long. It's got different lyrics to it. He changed the song later on. And uh, Keith starts by saying, you know, my heart's gotten hard. It's kind of crusty and kind of like wrinkled. And so I started asking the Lord to make my heart like baby skin. Just make it smooth like baby skin. And I asked him that all afternoon. And I stayed up most of the night writing this song. He's at a keyboard. And he starts playing, Oh Lord, you're beautiful. 
You know, Keith died in an airplane crash with the Smalley family. He wanted to show them last days. And I'd been following Keith for years there, and when I got to know the vineyard people, and the Smalleys were driving back east with their family to plant a vineyard church, the second one on the east coast. And I didn't know that until I read the book that Melody had written about Keith, that my two worlds intercepted, intersected in that airplane crash. Last days and Keith Green and the vineyard movement. Nothing happens by accident. As much as we, we want this COVID stuff to end, God, grace for this part on the earth. Whatever he, you're supposed to pray, pray it. If yours is to end it, well, just be a hound. Just go to him all the time. I, tell him I said you could go. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, you know. But if we're supposed to learn stuff, if we're supposed to awaken around the world, if, if, if a third great awakening is supposed to come and this is the only way to get there, then let's, we'll just... What do we want? Oh, can I go off on one of my pet things? I'm way over anyway. This whole thing of building up on sand, and I put up a little thing on Facebook because, you know, I built a patio and it was in the sand washed out and the stones started, started collapsing. And I've been, I haven't taken them up in a few weeks, but I take up stones. I take out the sand that I, and then I put concrete mix under it. And I float them again, but this time on concrete. The concrete is gone from under our culture. I don't know about the rest of the world. This culture is sitting on sand. A house that's built up on the sand is the one that they do not, they hear the word of God and they do not obey it. Our culture is on sand. So whatever we see collapsing is because of it. Marxists cannot arise up and burn down parts of our cities except that the cities are built upon sand. We have, as a culture, I, I know I'll get, come after, just come after me about this. When, when, when God was about to come with a deliverer of Moses, Pharaoh decided that the Hebrews were getting too strong and he started killing off all the, the boy babies. Before Jesus was born, Herod kills off the babies in Bethlehem. And it's quoted from the Old Testament saying Rachel, which is Rachel's from Bethlehem, Rachel is crying because of her children. She cannot be comforted. The generation since 1973 has things to do. They are being murdered in the name of personal choice. But you murder people and you take away the plans that God had for that person because there is no life by accident. There's no children born in a test tube are still the choice of God. You can't have a zygo unless God makes it. And, and, and you're not one day when you're 12.6 cells, now you're a person. You're a person 
when a zygote is formed of one cell that starts having all the genetic information it needs until you get to be the size that you are now, which is 30 trillion cells, roughly. You're a human from the one to the many. The Nazis, at one time, had a conscience. And before it was over, they were taking living children and throwing them into furnaces. Now, what does that remind you of? Let's see. Wasn't there a God called Molech? And didn't Molech require the sacrifice of children to go into a fire? That spirit, whether it's a fallen angel or what, I don't know how principalities are, it is very much alive on the earth today. It wants babies. It wants unfulfilled lives to be sacrificed to it because it loves blood. It loves lives that it doesn't possess. It is alive on the earth. It is active in our culture across all, whatever, whatever country it is out of the 183 we have now. It's alive. Have mercy. God may have us like Jeremiah in the Old Testament, where Jeremiah goes into captivity to be a voice to the people, even though they're in captivity because they have sinned against God, and that's why it happens. We may see some really hard things as Christians, and we will have to be the voice of God. But we do not want to be like the church in Germany as the Nazi party started climbing, because there was a point where they could have stood up and stopped it. And then it got so strong that they were afraid of it, and they couldn't. They started, the ones that could flee left Germany. We need a third great awakening, Lord. Yep. Just like this morning, you just swept in here. Wasn't by plan. Bruce was just leading worship. He and Karen, you came. You can come to this country. You can come to any country. Just come somewhere on the earth. Just anywhere. We magnify your presence. I ask you to raise up more of the five-fold ministry from apostles to teachers. Send out the orders. Raise up young ones, old ones, I don't care. Raise up people that teach the ways of God, that have anointing to heal the sick, to raise the dead, that, that people will know that they've had an encounter with God and that they they leave them with hunger, going, I want what that man, that woman, that child has. I don't have that. Enough of this playing church. Enough of trying to make churches palatable so people will go. Hunger for the living God that people are walking around saying, what must I do? Help me. Like going to John the Baptist at the river. What must I do? Like the morning of Pentecost, what must I do? Yes. You can pour that out upon the earth.
Have mercy upon humanity. You have paid for us with your blood, Jesus. As you sit at the right hand, turn to Father and ask Father for help for us. We need your deliverance again. So I told you my story because I'm just an art teacher that was called by God. I'm still in process. I'm getting older. Hopefully I'm getting better. But I'm still just, you know, I'm just me. Y'all have a good weekend, okay? Be safe. Be wise and seek God and wear your mask because... We have not contained this virus yet, okay? So. 500 new cases in the last two weeks. Hey, I told you about the, the wedding, or I told some of y'all. Did I say that from up here? I can't remember. A bunch of young people, they're dressed in these gorgeous dresses. There's a dozen bridesmaids standing in front of the Methodist church yesterday when I was downtown. You know, they wanted to wear those dresses. They spent money for it. <laughs> Probably everybody in the pews at the, at the wedding had a mask on, but they weren't going to have their picture made with a mask on. <laughs> you know, I taught a lot of young people, so I know how young people think. Like, you, you can't help them. <laughs> you can love them, but you can't help them. There's a little wire right here that needs to grow together, and it just, you just, you, you know, <laughs> until it grows together. They, yeah, I was one. Hopefully mine's grown together by now. So, bye.